It's banter o'clock! Welcome into another edition of Banter Clock. I'm Ethan Ryder alongside Michael Bosky and Nicholas Hodell. Today we are missing a vital piece of the show in Alvin Roden. Uh, we're not really sure where he is, but we're here. We love him and we wish he was here as well. Before we start the show, we want to talk about one of the greatest ever to play the game, Diego Maradona. Maradona passed away with reportedly a heart attack at the age of 60. Maradona, none of us personally watched him, but I think that can kind of just show you how big this man was for the sport of soccer. He was someone that I have never seen people in so much awe of someone's warm-up as someone like Diego Maradona. He's someone who scored many brilliant goals, goals in the World Cup that will live in forever. And he, of course, had some troubles, but Maradona was someone that everyone respected in the soccer world. So, Michael, you have anything to say? Uh, I mean, yeah, just just quickly, like, just growing up, obviously, you know, uh, becoming a soccer fan, you always hear about the legendary Diego Maradona. I mean, he's someone that tr- not only transcended the sport of soccer, but trans- transcended the, the, just the sport in ge- or sports in general. I mean, he was he, – he might have been the first international superstar that, you know, people could really see on television. Obviously, there was, like, Pele and – Gary Miller before him, but you know, national television was not what it was back in the '60s and '70s. So I, I feel like Maradona had that sort of you know impression on the world. Obviously, he had his troubles, which you know are really sad, and it was really sad to see sort of the demise of Maradona. But I believe something that never left him was his passion for the game. I mean, I think all of us watched the World Cup in 2018, and during the Argentina games. You could see Maradona screaming and, all, and seemingly falling out of the press box, just, you know, watching his team, Argentina, watching his country. So I think that's, you know, that was just amazing to watch, you know, someone at his age just caring so much about the game. But I think, you know, seeing everyone around the world, you know, pay, pay their respects and everything was, was really, really, really amazing to see. And it really showed the impact he has on even the younger generation that's coming up because he is one of the most influential people to ever grace the sport. So it's a sad day for not only just soccer, the soccer world, but it is a sad day for the sports world. Yeah, and it, it, it's not just the soccer world on its own. It's pretty much everyone in the sports world, because that's the kind of icon Maradona was. He, you know, he's an icon in multiple different facts where his ability in the soccer pitch inspired many, many others. And that doesn't just uh, – entail the soccer world but also several athletes and uh, and many other sports as well and it's a a sad day really um you know just when 2020 may have seemed to you know round the corner of course the evilness that is 2020 you know Trebek Maradona I don't even know what the heck's gonna be next but I know 2020 is not done yet so um but yeah this is a very sad loss it's a devastating loss and whew brutal man it's brutal yeah and you say true back maradona i mean there's chadwick bossman kobe pop smoke there's just been so many people that they've just been taken too soon from us and people that everyone respect and look up to but i speak for all of us rest in peace maradona condolences to his family 
and everyone around him and just to the football world, we'll all get through this and we'll live to see another day, hopefully. So Thanksgiving, we're going to go on to a little bit of a lighter note. Thanksgiving is today when we're recording this. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. You'll be listening on Friday. But this is Thanksgiving when we're recording. So we're going to talk about what we are thankful for. It's going to be soccer-wise because, as we all know, we're thankful for each other. I'm thankful for Michael and Nick. We're also thankful for Alvin as well, even though he's not here. But in terms of soccer-wise... I think there's only one person slash player that I could be thankful for right now, and that is Diogo Jota, because without Diogo Jota, who knows where Liverpool would be right now. Um, He is absolutely insane, and he continues to score goals that are vital for Liverpool in both the Premier League race and Champions League. He wasn't able to score this week, but he also didn't start, so it's not necessarily as much his fault. But, Michael, what are you thankful for? Um, I mean, I think it's probably going to be pretty obvious here. I'm thankful for Football Club Barcelona. Um, while they are in a bit of a bit of turmoil at the moment and playing very poorly, you know, that club, the, the club itself is, oh, I mean, I, I look forward to watching them every week, no matter how bad or how good they are. Um, and I'm also thankful for, on a, on a funnier note, that the entire board is gone and hopefully a new board will come in and, do some, do some good things because, I mean, my God, there's not been much to be thankful for coming from that board. But, I mean, I'm also thankful for the fact that we even get to watch soccer during a pandemic because, you know, I remember when they obviously stopped the season months and months ago. It was like – it was just there was nothing. And when soccer obviously became the first sport to come back, it literally was like the only thing I looked forward to because there was nothing else. And so I'm just thankful to have soccer in any sort of capacity come back, whether that be with no fans, fans, games getting rescheduled. I'm just thankful to have it back in general. So I think, I think we can all say that for sure. Yeah, and there's also an argument to be made that you can be thankful for soccer going on now um, during this time period with the sure. uh, growth of the pandemic and the growth of COVID-19. Um, I'm just thankful for Man City's Champions League performance because without their Champions League performance, I don't even know what I'd be turning into, quite frankly. I mean, this has not been a good Premier League year so far. So to see Man City at least doing their business like they should be in the Champions League, uh, it's just like, it's more of a sigh of relief than anything. It's like, phew, we're still doing good against the lower tier teams in Champions League. Thank God for that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I I think I speak for all of us that – Thankful for the sport of soccer in general. Boski touched on it a little bit that it's playing right now, but I personally, I'm sure you guys as well, have grown up with soccer in my life, and it's probably shaped who I am for the good. So I love soccer. We all love soccer. We're thankful for everything. Happy Thanksgiving to any of our listeners, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone here right now. And it'll come out on Friday, but it doesn't mean you can't get a belated happy Thanksgiving. So we'll move on to what the show is about, the Premier League. It was an interesting match week, so we're going to get right into it. On Saturday, Chelsea temporarily topped the table with a 2-0 win over Newcastle. Now, I have a quick question about that game, boys. So, we're looking at this table right now. Chelsea and Tottenham. We'll talk about top four Tottenham a little later, Bosky. But Chelsea, are Chelsea for real? So, they get a goalie, Edward Mendy. Mendy has, of course, changed the team. And it seems like he was that one missing piece to Frank Lampard's side. Are Chelsea for real in terms of a title push? Yeah, I mean, I think 
especially the way they've played in their last five or six matches, they've really shown that they certainly have the attacking potential to um, make a title push. And I think no one really doubted that. Uh, I think everyone was sort of like, yes, this is a team that can attack with the best in the world, but is the defense going to be sound enough for this team to really contend for titles? And I think that question has been answered in the past few weeks. I mean, to start the season, they're very shaky defensively, but since the acquisition of Mendy, like you mentioned, and obviously Thiago Silva starting to make his impact, I think that this defense has looked pretty, pretty like solid, like, like truly solid. I'm not just talking about, you know, this, some sort of like fluke or maybe a game here or there. I mean, they've looked in, in like completion. They look very solid. And a year like 2020 where anything can happen and it seems like four or five or six teams could be making a title push this year. I think that there's no reason why Chelsea shouldn't. They certainly have the attacking prowess for it, even with injuries such as Pulisic who – you know, who's a big part of their team before he went down. Um, yeah, I think this team is for real. And I think that the defense looks very sound. I think that's the key to this team, you know, succeeding in the, and domestically as well as the Champions League. And quite frankly, I think if Chelsea doesn't maintain the position or get up into that top two, I think something has gone wrong, um, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I like to look at this Chelsea team. I think Chelsea and Liverpool are probably the two teams that can win the title right now. I mean – I'm starting to give him a little bit to the idea of Tottenham getting into a Champions League place. I'm starting to give him a little bit, but it's, and it's just one of those deals to where I think shit's get Chelsea and Liverpool, and then you, you could certainly make the case for Tottenham being right below him right now, to be quite honest. Like, I think the top three now could very well be the top three at the end of the season. Interesting, interesting. I think Chelsea definitely have played well. The thing that I would be a little concerned about them, which they haven't shown recently with a bunch of clean sheets, is that defense. I don't think their defense is necessarily elite, but I think looking around the Premier League, especially with the injuries to Liverpool and just how Manchester City's defense is looking, Tottenham have had a very strong defense, mainly because they're playing under Jason Mourinho, but maybe you don't need a good defense. I mean, maybe a defense isn't necessary this season because – I think that's why Liverpool pulled away so far last season was because their defense was good enough to just sit back and take on points. But this year without Van Dyke, now without Gomez, who knows if their defense is good enough. And now everyone's kind of on a level playing field of maybe good defenses, maybe not. So it'll be interesting to see. They're definitely playing very well. Moving on, Aston Villa 1, Brighton 2. Brighton finally got some points out of a result that they this time maybe didn't even deserve. They've had other games where it seems like they've deserved three points or even a point and haven't gotten it. But good for Brighton to get that. And the big one, boys. It's early. It was early in the match week. Top four Tottenham defeat Manchester City 2-0. So I'm sure Bosky is elated. He's raising his hand right now. Nick looks like he doesn't even want to talk about it. So I guess we'll go to Bosky first. I mean, wow. What, what a result. For a team that, honestly, I mean, while they've been playing well, there definitely was some questions to be answered in this one, especially going up against a very strong side in Man City. And, I mean, I mean, what a, what a performance by Mourinho. I mean, it was, a, it was, you know, as he likes to dub himself, it was the special one versus Pep Guardiola, who's looked a bit shaky domestically this season. But just talking about the game, I mean – Tottenham's defense, I don't think I've seen Tottenham defend that well in the final third probably ever in my entire lifetime. I, I mean, so they seriously had one of the greatest defensive performances 
they've had. And on the counterattack, I mean, they were absolutely clinical. They looked like they were going to score for the for almost every time they were going forward. And it wasn't much because Man City, if you look at the stats, if you look at the possession, look at the shots, anything, Man City dominated that. But that's not really how the game went in my eyes. I think uh, Man City – they kind of realized midway through the game that they couldn't get through this defense and started taking shot after shot from long range. And I think that's what Mourinho was looking for because he will, he'll give you those long shots all day. It was just a matter of fact, can these guys get in the box and make a difference? There was one instance though, where there was arguably a handball in the box. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the uh, Laporta goal, which was called back because that clearly was a handball. But um. I think the biggest, the big, the the main man, Harry Kane. He, while he didn't score, he obviously assists on the second goal. But what he did on the first goal, I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but he literally took that entire, he took the entire defense and made them basically focus on him. Oh, he moved up and Son ran behind him, and no one saw Son. And Dombele put in a beautiful ball, which I was saying last week he would be a key player, whether or not Tottenham played well, and he clearly was. He played a big role in that, assisting Son. And then on the second goal, I mean, what, what Harry Kane has done this year, I think none of us can dispute, has been nothing short of spectacular. Whether or not he scores a goal, he's been involved in almost every Tottenham goal. And I think the connection he has with Son in that front three is, is very special. It's going to provide a lot of great performances this year. But, man, this Tottenham team really showed that they are a team for real. They look like they could compete with the likes of City. I'm sure they'll compete with Liverpool when they face them. Chelsea. Well... This is this is something that I think uh, that I'll say. This may be a bit of a hot take. I don't know. But just when you look at what the computers say, um, and the 538 um, computers still favor Man City by 43% to win the Premier League. And I honestly think that that should be 0%. I honestly think with the four that Man City has right now, that we can rule out a Manchester City Premier League championship. I really think we can officially rule it out. Um, and, and maybe that's something I maybe that's something I think I'm crazy, but this inconsistent form, like I don't know what it is about this Man City team, but if we're still sitting here in December with this inconsistent form, I honestly think we have to call into question the decision to extend Pep Guardiola's contract. Uh, and it just seems like these in this Premier League season so far. It just hasn't been working. It, it hasn't been clicking on a consistent basis. You need consistency to win a title. And Man City, throughout this entire year, hasn't had the consistency whatsoever. And even though it's still a tighter table from first down to 12 through Man City is, I just call into question City's ability to be able to pick up that consistency that's going to be required to win this Premier League title because I honestly think we're in a situation where at the very least Chelsea, Liverpool, if not Tottenham, starts to break away from the pack and leaves Man City completely in the dust. I think we're about a good month away at this former scene right now to say, yep, we have a, we have a breakaway and City's going to have to get a top four and move on with their lives. I mean, I think we're very, very close to being that. I personally can't see a way that Man City will win the Premier League at all. Now, that that seems a little overkill. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, no. Wait, sorry, Ethan. But I would say, personally, on this front, 
Tottenham look like a typical Jose Mourinho side in, in his third season. I mean, they they finally bought into what he wants them to do. They'll play well until they get bored of playing defensively, and it might win them a title. You don't know. And given the season, given it's 2020, who knows? And they look good. Props to Bossy for the top four Tottenham pick because Jose Mourinho is making sure that looks like a brilliant pick. On Manchester City's side, as much as it pains me to say it, we were in like November and December and Liverpool were up by 10 points and City came back and won the Premier League. We're nine games in and City are down by eight points. I mean, a couple losses here and there and City on a winning streak and they're right back up there. So I know like, yes, they have to get on a winning streak and I'm the greatest form right now. But something about City just tells me that they're going to figure it out. And whether that's true or not, I know I've said before on the show that Pep Guardiola doesn't really have a plan B, and he just doesn't really – he has a plan A, and if plan A is working, they're one of the best teams in the world, and no one's going to be able to cope with them. But if it's not working, they don't have a plan B. So if their plan A continues to not work, I can see your point. But there is a reason they extended Pep Guardiola for another two years, because when it's working – that team is absolutely insane. And now you guys have Ruben Diaz. And if Laporte stays healthy, that defense theoretically should be better as well. So I just don't think you can count them out completely because that City team, we've seen it before, can go on a run. And other teams might fall off considering it's 2020. Liverpool lost to Aston Villa 7-2. Like, things happen, right? But who knows? I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But, Bosky, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, Nick talks about City being in- inconsistent. I would disagree. I say they're consistent, but just consistently poor. I mean, <laughs> as far, I mean, if you would have told me before the season started that the best part about City's team would be their defense, I would say this is going to be an invincible type season. But if you would have also told me the defense looks better, but the attack just looks god-awful, I, I mean, I, there's – I mean – I think it's clear. I mean, City's had trouble scoring goals. I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted this. I mean, they – I mean, obviously, they didn't score a goal against Tottenham, and that's not great. But it's not just been the Tottenham game. I mean, they've had trouble scoring goals against every single team. I don't think they've had a performance this season where I've been like, wow, that that attack is really – like, like that is what Sterling, Jesus, De Bruyne, Mares, Torres should be doing. I mean, the, the goal-scoring issues have been – been seriously what's concerned me and what would concern me as a city fan. And it's not even, again, if they're missing chances that are, you know, getting saved by goalies point blank, you know, just missing sitters. That's one thing, but is they're not even getting those chances. They're just not getting chances in the final third, like they were getting in, in years past. So I, I think that's something of concern. I think Guardiola has to fix that if he's going to make a title push at this point in the season. And I guess it's to wrap up this, this point. I mean, if, Let's, let's go back to every game that City's played and just rattle off the goals that City has scored from start to where we are now. Three, two, one, 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 zero. It's bad, and it needs help. But if you I, – I know this is, this is what you've been saying. They've been very good in Champions League. They've scored a lot of goals. Of course, they only scored one in their last game. But it – it's something that I think is a small tweak. And I think if anyone can do it with that team, it's going to be Guardiola, which is why I wouldn't necessarily question them extending him because he's made them one of the best sides, at least in England. And now it seems like he's doing well in Europe against, yes, mediocre sides. But I think 
if anyone can do it, Pep Guardiola can. And for some, I just have that feeling that that's just a little tweak, and then all of a sudden City are back to City. And it's nine games into the season after an elongated break. I mean, even if you look at other teams, if you look outside of Spurs, Werner's struggling for Chelsea. All of Liverpool's people are basically struggling except for Jota, who continues to score. And I guess you could say Salah, too. But, like, there are people that are struggling. It's been an elongated break. Um and then coming back, and then a quick break to this season. So I think it's a small tweak, and once they get that figured out, I think they'll be fine. But if they don't, maybe it'll be a problem. Now, Alvin isn't here today for the next game. Manchester United won, West Brom zero. Quickly, I'll just say, I think the penalty thing is absolutely atrocious. I understand the rule, and I get it, but I also don't get it at all because a goalie is already at a disadvantage. So for anyone that doesn't know, Bruno Fernandes took a penalty. The goalie saved it, but he was deemed to have come off his line before – Bruno Fernandez shot the ball, and so Bruno Fernandez got a retake and scored, which first off is absolutely atrocious that Man United needed a retake penalty to beat West Brom. But that's a completely different discussion. <laughs> but a penalty, the goalie is already at a disadvantage. And in that penalty, Bruno Fernandez clearly jumps. What is the goalie supposed to do? So you're going to allow the kicker to do whatever he wants on a kick that he already has an advantage that he's literally expected to score? And the goalie's supposed to just stand there still when he jumps. It just makes no sense. Like, I don't understand. And, and I, I would get it maybe on a normal kick if the goalie's jumping. But that's what every goalie was told when they were younger. So they're probably used to it. So it's going to take a while for them not to be used to it. But then when they jump, like, it's just not fair to say, oh, you have to sit there and do nothing when the guy jumps. When you're already at a disadvantage, it's safe. But Manchester United ended up winning. So I'll let you guys talk about that. Yeah, um, the penalty – I mean, I, I remember saying last week uh, – I mean, I was half-joking saying, you know, Manchester United are not a team that is – you know, it's not a team of note right now in the Premier League with the way they're playing. And I remember thinking, well, if they draw, if they struggle against West Brom, that claim was going to have a lot more validity to it. And the fact that they needed a retake penalty to be West Brom – I mean, yes, obviously that the decision I I'm, I'm, I agree with Ethan was I don't understand it. The goal the goal is at a, not only a small disadvantage, the goal is at a huge disadvantage already on penalties, which is just ridiculous. And, and I the, should I should make it clear, it's the right call from the ref. He should be making that call because yes. he's told to make that call. But it's the rule in general that I disagree with. Like I'm nothing against the ref. He made the right call. Yes, no, no, yeah, for sure. This is not like VAR slander or anything that we've been we've done in the past, but. I mean, let's just – the fact that Maine United had struggle scoring goals against West Brom is, quite frankly, concern. I mean, like Ole – I don't know why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is still at the wheel, and, and, you know, at Manchester United after performance. I mean, this, was, this performance was worthy of getting fired, win or loss. I mean, it didn't matter if they drew or lost the game. They, they played like a losing side. Do, I mean that it was it was an awful performance Manchester United. I think Ole should be fired regardless of the result. Yet the Champions League result four one, which we'll probably talk about later, that may have saved him in some instance. But my goodness, I mean, domestically they looked awful against a West Brom side, which is probably going to get relegated. And we've all basically said is you know the worst or I guess second worst side in the in the Prem. You should be thinking that retake because I think that retake is the reason why he's doing the job, quite frankly. Because we, we, this is what we've been saying for the last few weeks is that 
every game leading up to the Manchester Derby is a must-win game for Ole to keep his job. And you know what? He got – I mean, they, they got the result. So, I mean, you, if you can – anytime you can get three points in the Premier League, you're going to take it. Uh, and so, I mean, it doesn't matter how ugly it looks at times. Three points is three points. Yeah, and I, I don't know – I wouldn't be surprised if Ole's at the wheel, which one, I think he shouldn't have been at the wheel at the first place. I've said this on the show before, but two, if he's at the wheel for that city game and city just absolutely dismantle him, I wouldn't be surprised. And then he's gone. And then United probably have a kickstart signed Pochettino, whoever they end up signing, but it's an interesting one. I, I don't know. They definitely created enough chances, which is something it's definitely something to be said. Like they could have scored a couple more goals in that game, but that's better than not creating chances in a way, but they still definitely struggled against West Brom, which is not very good, but we'll move on. We'll probably quickly go through these next ones uh, in terms of time for the rest of the show. Fulham two, Everton three, absolute five goal thriller. Everton got through Dominic Calvert-Lewin with a brace means he's the current leading goal scorer. Now Sheffield United zero West Ham one West Ham continue on their hot streak. Leeds United zero Arsenal zero. That was a, Interesting game, to say the least, with Nicola Pepe getting sent off for Arsenal. And then I think Leeds United had 25 shots. And watching the game, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, 20 of those hit the crossbar post because that seemed to be every single shot they had. And then Liverpool 3, Leicester 0. There's not much else to say other than absolute masterclass by no other than James Milner. Uh, Somehow he stepped in. I I just – it doesn't really make sense. Players are stepping into this Liverpool team, and they're like, you could argue James Milner played better than Trent Alexander-Arnold has at any point this season. I wouldn't say that personally because Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think, is Liverpool's best player. Jota stepped in and acted like he's been there for 10 years, and he's just like Fernando Torres all of a sudden. And then everyone just steps in. Curtis Jones steps in and has a great game. Whoever steps in at center back steps in and has a great game. It's just masterclass after masterclass. We'll talk about Champions League, like, literally a couple seconds later after this. But, Nick, go ahead. I mean, not to make it all about Man City, but I think this game kind of shows the reasoning why I think that City has no chance to win the Premier League because if Liverpool can, can put on a, that kind of a masterclass with, with some of their most important players out, it's going to be another one of those years for Liverpool where they start getting the consistency up. It's watch out for the rest of the Premier League, really. Yeah, and I just want to say a quick point. Um, I mean, I mean, the real man of the match to me was Jurgen Klopp, who did, obviously didn't step on the field. Um, but I mean, the point, job, with all the injuries, he might step on the field soon at center back. He actually come. He might put in a shift. Who knows? But um, Jurgen Klopp. I mean, wow. I, just with what the resources he had, which was very little, and going up a lesser side, which was top of the table, this was one of those games where it could be like, what, like you, we could really see how these injuries truly affected the team. But the way Jurgen Klopp, I mean, manages this team and the way, the tactically, how brilliant they were against Leicester City was, I mean, it, it was truly amazing. And I mean, another guy that I don't, you know, I don't love to give, not, not that I don't love to give a lot of credit to. But who had a very good game was Firmino. I believe Firmino was very solid. He could have had a, two or three goals. I'm actually I'm very glad to see that he ended up getting his goal at the, at last. I should say, but I mean, okay. one of them was like centimeters from going in. That's not really. It, it was a good clearance off the line. 
Yeah, no, but you know, no. For you, okay, sure. wait, wait. Can we can we say for a sec how I what was it? I think it was Arlo White and Graham Lasso on the NBC Sports Network broadcast, and they were just absolutely going at Firmino because his shot got literally was centimeters away from scoring, and they're like, "Well, you know, it's just." When players don't have confidence, they just don't find a way to score. And they were just, like, absolutely ripping into him. I was like, yo, he literally is playing amazing and almost scored. And then he scored, and it was like, yeah, take that. It was like five minutes later, he just banged one in right into the bottom corner. <laughs> All right, do you want to say anything else? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I just wanted to basically say congrats to Firmino, but Jurgen Klopp, I mean, wow. What, what a master class as far as a manager. It really shows why he is arguably the best in the world, if not, you know, at the minimum top two, in my opinion. No, yeah, for sure. And also the thing about it was it, it was a master class. It was an utter domination. Like, Leicester had nothing. Yeah. Somehow Vardy was just pocketed by makeshift center back Fabinho, who's looking like an absolute class center back. But we'll move on to Monday. Burnley won, Crystal Palace zero, an absolute vintage Burnley turf more appearance. Uh, it's just back to the old days for Burnley. That's what you expect from Matt Turf Moore. Get an early goal and just sit in and absolutely stop everything. And then the last game was Wolves 1, Southampton 1. That was a good game. Walcott scored his first goal since like 2005 or something for Southampton. And then Pedro Neto scored a goal himself. But we'll move on to more teams in the Champions League. Talk about the Champions League. Ren 1, Chelsea 2. Another performance from Chelsea getting another win. Boss, do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I I will say, I mean, Chelsea looked – I mean, I just the academy players, I mean, I know we've heard so much about them for years. But the first goal, I mean, the pass from Mason Mount was world-class, to say the least. It was a perfect pass to his English teammate, Kalamatsu Adol, who finished it. And at the end, I mean, the Giroud header, I mean, that was a ridiculous – ridiculous header from the to get that much power to get that distance I mean to put it in the top corner is just insane and I think we've we talked about Giroud uh during the international break I mean this guy he obviously gets gets kind of memed I guess a lot in the soccer world but I mean he still has certainly has the talent and the goal scoring prowess to play on a Premier League side and I feel like it's it's almost it's he should probably go to a different team because while he's not good enough possibly to start in this Chelsea team, he's certainly good enough to start in another Premier League team or a very high-level side. But the guy works so hard. And, I mean, if he plays one minute, it's going to be the toughest one minute of the game. I mean, he is, he is truly someone that is definitely should be an inspiration to other players, other young strikers, because the work he puts in is just immense. And so props to him. But, my God, that was probably the best header I've seen all year. I mean, he was, it was certainly – like this, like I said, the power, the accuracy, the placement, the timing as well, obviously, huge. Uh, so props to Olivier Giroud. So I was going to say, Giroud is someone, yes, you could go to a different team and maybe be like the star striker or whatever, but low-key, he might be okay with just being a super sub for a team like Chelsea because he comes on and he, he just offers something completely different than Tammy Abraham and Timo Werner. So it'd be interesting to see if he just decides to stay because you're already seeing his goal-scoring prowess. But – Man U 4, Istanbul, Basek Shahir, I think, won. Uh, it was a game that should have probably been the scoreline a couple weeks ago when Manny I lost to him. There's not much to say. They absolutely dominated and they beat them. They, of course, got a goal scored on him late. De Gea probably wouldn't be happy, but 
that's about it from that game. Olympiacos 0, Manchester City 1. Nick, Champions League wins continue. Thoughts? And not only that, we have also now qualified for the knockout stage, which is a very big accomplishment. And going forward, obviously the match against Porto should be of the utmost importance because that is going to be basically an opportunity to clinch first place in the group, which is obviously the need want to accomplish and then the Marseille game. I think for both the Porto and the Marseille games, I honestly would take a bit of a weaker lineup to focus on the Premier League since you have that form that has been as good in the Premier League. You're not in that uh, ideal position right now in the Prem. I think that it would be a good idea in the next couple of matches to take a little bit of a weaker lineup into those games, you know, get some guys some experience and keep the best, best players, you know, in fit and healthy and ready to go, most importantly, for your Premier League match. Because I really think that now, until your knockout stage games in the Champions League, the Prem has to take the utmost importance right now. Yeah, and Man City continued to win in the Champions League. Liverpool didn't continue to win in the Champions League. They lost to Atlanta 2-0. I can't say I watched that much of this game, but Liverpool, it looked like one of those games where they had to play a weaker side because of rotation. Jurgen Klopp has been pissed about the whole rotation thing and all the games that are being played and just scheduling and stuff from the Premier League. So it looked like they didn't play that many people and the people that were placed didn't really play that well. Uh, but I kind of expected it, to be honest. Going to the game, I wasn't expecting that much. I kind of expected a weaker side. And with the weaker side, Adelante is a very talented team that probably with their talent, it did not really represent it with that 5-0 loss to Liverpool earlier this season. But we'll move on because that was kind of – they lost. It was a bad performance, but they're still top of the group. So it's not that huge of a loss in that regard. But, Bosky, we'll move to you. We're talking about Barcelona being Dynamo Kiev 4-0 in the Champions League because on this show we talk about the U.S. men's national team. And Serginio Des had himself a worldie, so. Yeah, I mean, just quickly, uh, Nick, I'm, I'm honestly, you being a City fan, me being a Barcelona fan, I'm sure we'll be great friends because we're having the similar seasons, terribly domestically, but in the Champions League, something just changes. And it looks like we're back to Javi Iniesta years. But anyway, talking about uh, Serginio Dest, I mean, to, I mean, it's a huge moment, not only for Americans everywhere. I think I, I tweeted something about it. But, um, I mean, this is the first goal an American's ever scored for Barcelona. I mean, this is a huge moment for Americans everywhere. I mean, the first goal an American's ever scored for Barcelona, one of, obviously one of the most storied clubs in the entire world. And, again, it's not even just the goal scoring. It's that now Americans are making impact on a club like Barcelona is just – I never would have imagined it. And another big shout-out to Americans at Barcelona, Conrad de la Funta finally made his debut for Barcelona. He's obviously going to be – he's obviously one of the other Americans, the young Americans that will hopefully be leading this men's national team to, to you know, heights of greatness that we've never seen before. But speaking on the desk goal, because that's what we're here for, I mean, watching it, I, I could have sworn Lionel Messi was on the field because – I haven't seen anyone finish the ball like that other than outside of Lionel Messi, probably on this Barcelona team for years. And the finish was just world-class going across, across the goal, hitting basically the, the far post and going in from a right back in the champions league. I mean, oof, just beautiful. Uh, and 
no one was more excited than I, simply because that gave Barcelona the lead, and it was an American scoring goal. This Sergino Des is going to be a world-class player. He is just, I mean, even since his first performance where he only played 20 minutes, he's been making an impact on this team. He's inspiring this team. And he's just going to be a god in the future. I am so excited. I'm and so it's, And it's too bad, too, that, you know, CBS, you know, instead of, you know, putting it on at the very least CBS Sports Network so Americans could watch it, you know, they care about one of these, also known as dollar bills, and decided to put it all on their streaming service. So, I mean, big loss for CBS, really. Big loss for American soccer fans that got to go through all that money just to watch the Champions League and Europa League, for that matter, too. I mean, the Europa League team wars. You're not wrong. <laughs> all right. We'll move on from that, even though that's – I mean, that was a gorgeous goal. And, uh, Michael, I don't really know how you pronounce it, but it's Conrad De La Fuente. I don't really know what you said. I think you said, like, Fuente or something. I think, I think, was, I, think I said Fuente. Yeah, something like that. Well, that could be a bad league. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Okay. He is- we'll move on. We'll move on to Premier League preview for next week. Friday, so for another Friday match week, Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. Should be an interesting game. Two teams that have been playing well, but who knows who will come out on top. Brighton versus Liverpool with the midweek in Champions League. I'm not exactly sure what to expect from Liverpool. I think it's a lot down to who plays and who Jurgen Klopp puts out there. Uh, but Brighton are a good team, so I think that's definitely a dangerous game. It's not too easy of a game. Man City versus Burnley. Nick, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that every non-Big Six match is a must-win now for Man City, to be, to be perfectly honest, and it really starts with this. Um, I mean, Burnley comes off a good performance, but, you know, City at home, I mean, I don't think it should be too much of a worry, but we've seen all kinds of performances from City so far this year, so it's going to be a very intriguing one for sure. Yep, and the next one is Everton versus Leeds. Everton – had that Fulham game, maybe it, people would kind of argue it shouldn't have been that close against Fulham. Leeds tied Arsenal, probably could have won by five or six goals if they didn't all hit the post. But that should be an interesting one as well. West Brom versus Sheffield United. West Brom, as we have been talking about West Brom not being that good, but as of recently, they've had some pretty good performances, and Sheffield United have been struggling. So that should be an interesting one in terms of who actually gets the win or if it's a draw, what it, what it is. We'll predict it later. Sunday, Southampton versus Man U. Alvin's not here to talk about it, but Southampton have been strong this season, so Ole Gunnar Soskar is still on the hot seat. Maybe this is the game that he gets out. Who knows? Big game, big game, big game, Boski. Another one for top for Tottenham, taking on Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. What are you thinking? Yeah, this is going to be arguably the toughest game uh, Tottenham has played all season, obviously, Going to Stamford Bridge is never an easy task, but especially playing into Chelsea side that's been as hot as they have been recently. This is, in my opinion, the best game of the week, and it is must-see TV. You have two, you know, two teams that are maybe we didn't expect to be as good as they were this year playing each other in, you know, a very, very good matchup for sure. I think the thing – I mean, certainly the thing to watch for Tottenham is going to be how in God's name are they going to stop this attack going forward. And I believe that's also going to be Chelsea's problem, too. It's going to be – they both have similar issues. They're built, I feel, uh, similarly as far as teams. But, again, I mean, Tottenham coming off a huge one against Man City. We'll see how they do against Chelsea. And I feel like if they can beat Chelsea, this 
there's no other way of saying this, but, you know, Tottenham, if you were doubting before that Tottenham is for real, even after beating Man City, they will certainly be for real after hopefully beating a Chelsea side. But I think either way, this is a big win for either team. Going forward, this could be the decider of who wins the Premier League, obviously with Liverpool being in the mix as well. Definitely. And another big game, Arsenal versus Wolves. And then on Monday, it's Leicester City versus Fulham. And it ends out the match week with West Ham versus Aston Villa. So an interesting match week. We'll predict them a little bit later. But before that, we got to go to our basically king of all segments, banter of the week. So banter this week, we won't have Alvin, but we're still going to kick on with this king of a segment. And I'm going to go first because Bosky's trying to take mine, I can see from the notes. Oh, no. So, yeah, I, just wanna, I, I think you took the yeah. Okay, no. I'll, so, I'll, I'll, I was, yeah. <laughs> so we write them down before just so we don't take them, but I didn't really write mine down that specifically, so I can understand it. Mine's kind of about a player in general in James Milner. So it's, it's, he's not a banter of the week for his performance. That's definitely not what it is. It's more going back on the memes that I already talked about. I'm starting to think it would have been possible that if Milner started every position, Liverpool probably would have beat Leicester City by just as much, if not as many goals. So, I mean, it really works out. He had an amazing performance. Earlier this year, earlier this season, whatever you want to say, they, Liverpool moved into a new training center. And James Milner is he's getting up there in age. Somehow he's continuing to win whatever the stamina tests are at Liverpool, and he continues to put in performances at his age that he probably shouldn't even be doing at this point. But he continues to perform well. And for some reason, I believe Milner made a joke about it, and someone decided, why not? Let's do it. They named a door after James Milner in the new training center. That's literally – it's just the James Milner door. Like, that's, that's all it is. And there's just a plaque next to it that says James Milner. And he talked about it. And he got asked about it in an interview. And the guy asked him, like, if he was going – if it was starting to be, like, his end, the time. He's, like, getting to the end of time or whatever when he's playing – and he was like, hopefully not. And then, he's, and then he said something about how it's wooden hinges and it doesn't represent, like, who he is. Or it does. I forget what it was. But that was pretty funny that he had a freaking door named after him, considering, especially considering it's James Milner. And if you know James Milner, he's someone that definitely likes to play around and make jokes, even with his age and the younger people around him. He seems Everyone seems to like him. He's a vice captain. He's just in and around that Liverpool team at that age, so that's pretty impressive. But, Nick, we'll go to you for the Twitter banter of the week. Yeah, and this one's a bit interesting, too, uh, with, uh, with good old Slaton trying to take a few digs at uh, EA Sports for uh, using his likeness and this whole uh, the FIFA Pro and, you know, all this stuff. And even Gareth Bale got in on it. So, <laughs> Bale was, you know, it's like, you know, Gotha now, this old nonsense. And it's just a bit weird because, obviously, when Slaton, I want to like, put out a month, he even had a photo of him with the big old like. Uh, like life-size, human-size version of uh, this, you know, FIFA card from several years back, you know, blowing up. People were going back to that. And, and Gareth Bale had some history, too, with the FIFA 14 as well. It's, it's just something that's weird. But, again, it, it could be leading to something else further down the line with, uh, you know, should the EA Sports FIFA contract come up, maybe this might be the start of some players trying to get more bargaining rights here. So, not much to come out of it in the short term, but it's very curious to look at it though from the long term perspective. 
Yeah, that's that's a really interesting story just because if they are using their likeness without their permission, then that could be a bigger problem. And then what happens to FIFA? What happens to all that kind of stuff? I would think they'd probably just end up paying them a little bit more money and the players are happy, whatever it may be. But, Bosky, go ahead to yours. Yeah, for mine, it was more of a personal – it was a personal story, which I found hilarious. Um, as you know, um, some of my roommates – well, if you don't know my roommates, um, one of them has, in my opinion, a crippling gambling addiction. <laughs> so every week um, before the Champions League, he asked me for basically picks on who I think is going to win. And every week I've, you know, I've actually done really well. I usually miss, I go like eight of nine or like nine of ten or something like that. And like I'm like pretty good. And so this week he was doing a – he wanted to do a parlay, which if for some of our listeners that don't know, a parlay – basically is an all or nothing. So like if I pick five games and all five of them happen, I get a huge payout. But if four of them happen and one of them doesn't happen, then I get nothing. And so he wanted to make a parlay. So I gave him like, I think nine games or maybe it was nine or 10 games in total. It was the maximum amount of teams you could put in his gambling parlay. And he wanted to get some, like, you know, upsets, some favorites. And so I gave him all the ones I thought that might happen and the ones I knew would happen. And, you know, the first, first day, I think the first six hit. And he was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is going to happen. And I was like, you know, don't be too sure. Liverpool's playing tomorrow. And that's the one game I'm worried about. Because the only reason you maybe put Liverpool is because, because the odds were pretty, pretty close, simply because of the injuries. And I was like, don't be too sure. And then the next day, Man City wins. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach wins. So that's like, you know, nine for nine. Real Madrid wins. And then all we're waiting for is Liverpool. And if, he, if Liverpool had won, he would have won like $570 or $600, which is, you know, obviously a lot. And Liverpool did not win. And so he lost everything. <laughs> and so now he literally – he doesn't know much about soccer. And his least favorite team now is Liverpool. So congratulations, Ethan. Uh, your team has cost him. It wasn't, it wasn't literally hate. Like he literally texted me, um, bleep Liverpool, as many times as one man could in about a ten minute span. He doesn't know anything, but he wow Liverpool. He hates Liverpool because you know it was the potential of winning six hundred dollars, and he did. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> no, I mean yeah. I just don't think it was. It was honestly just not a smart pick. Well, no, I told him it was because he wanted Max Pound. I was like, you know, Liverpool, they've won 5-0 against Atalanta with an injured squad. They got more injured. They beat Leicester 3-0. I was like, this one could happen, but I'm not confident about it. He's like, oh, just put it anyway. And I was like, I'm just warning you, this one might not happen. And it didn't. And so he just hates Liverpool. And it was the fact that the first, like, 11 teams or, like, 10 teams hit. Yeah. So it was legit all, it was all or nothing on the Liverpool game. <laughs> just, I'm sure. I'm sure he's not the only one that hates Liverpool. It's, as soon as they've become very good, people seem to hate him. But we'll go <laughs> on to predictions because apparently, if you had gone with your gut feeling that it wasn't going to happen, he would have won a lot of money. I like to go off my gut feeling for predictions, and it has paid off yet again. So right now, I got a seven out of ten last week. Alvin Bosky and Nick all got a five out of ten. So I mean, that's not bad. Like we're we're getting better. I know we all had like threes out of tens and twos out of ten at the beginning of the year. I think Nick was probably 
the best the first couple weeks with five out of tens. But right now, with the, both the five out of tens, Alvin and Vosky continue to be tied at the bottom with now 23 points. Nick with the five out of ten has 28. And with my seven out of ten, I have risen up to the top with 29 points. It may be one point, but my gut feeling is working, and it continues to work. This week, we don't have Alvin on the show, so he won't be able to give out his predictions here. But we'll somehow get him out. Hopefully, he texts us and lets us know what those predictions are, and we'll get those out as soon as we can on some sort of social media platform. But we'll start off with these prediction boys. Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. We have about eight minutes left on the show. So let's get these done. Have a good week. You know, it's Thanksgiving. Let's be thankful for being able to predict these games and for them happening, for the Premier League continuing to happen. So first game, Friday. Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. I am going with Crystal Palace. Um, I mean, I think I was going to go with Crystal Palace as well, but the only way I can make up ground is by picking the, you know, the opposite of you guys. So I'm going to go with Newcastle just to make it interesting. Okay. Looking like and I'm going to go with a draw here. Hey! Quite frankly, uh, I-, I can't really separate based on form and where they're at the table right now. I really can't. Hey, hey, we got all three, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Saturday, Brighton versus Liverpool. I'm going to go Liverpool. I can't even – yeah, I'm going Liverpool as well. There's nothing more to say about Brighton's that. Brighton's not a bad pick. I think They're not, but it's just I can't go against the champs. There's something about that just hurts me. Yeah, and especially after what Liverpool did against the last year. I mean, if you're going against Liverpool here, you're quite frankly really stupid, uh, Liverpool. Well, I will say you said Crystal Palace were an easy pick last week. And I picked Burnley, uh-huh. and they won, just putting it out there. I want Liverpool yeah. win. I hope Liverpool win and, and because I picked them. But, you know, who knows? It could, could, anything could happen, okay? Man City versus Burnley. I got to go with my gut here and say draw, even though I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with a City win, but that's almost wishful thinking because if they don't, and this could be a, not only a rough week for my good friend Nick, but I mean, if they don't wait, if they can't be, I, I if they, oh, I can't even imagine. So I'm, I have to go with Man City, just hoping that they do something and maybe break the form. I'm sure they will soon, and they'll be and they'll be back to the juggernaut. But I just, yeah, I'm hoping I, I I can't pick against Man City right now. And I, I can't pick against them in this sort of matchup either. But you know, it. The, the, I mean. Any sort of uh, fathom of them not winning this game is very scary. But I do think this is the type of match that City has been winning so far this year, and I think they will win here. All right, Everton versus Leeds. Let's go backwards. Nick, you do it first. Uh, I'm going to go with Everton here. Yeah, I'm going to go with Everton as well. I think that uh, the Fulham – I mean, obviously they started the season hot then got pretty cold, but after the Fulham one, I feel like they showed that they can be back to their former selves with their attacking prowess. I feel like they're going to take this one. So I let you guys go first because I had a gut feeling, and now that it means I'm different, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with Leeds. West Brom versus Sheffield United. This might be a hot take. I really don't know, but I'm going to go West Brom. Uh, I'm going to go draw. Yeah, I'm going to go with withdrawal here. Both these teams, I mean, they haven't won a game yet, and I don't think it, nothing's been proven that they can. So I'm just going to stick with withdrawal here. 
Yeah, that was that was the other choice that I was thinking of. Another, I, I'm I'm really going risky here, and I could lose my lead, but I'm going Southampton and Southampton versus Man U. Tough one, but I mean, it's it's always the games where you doubt Man United's form are the games that they perform really well, and I feel like this could be another one after a tough performance against West Brom. I'm going Man, U, Man United. Yeah, I'm going with United too, but it's also very important to note that. Over the last five matches between Man United and Southampton, we've had we've seen four draws. So keep that in mind. I'm going United, but keep that in mind here. Don't be surprised if United doesn't take this. Yeah, I, I think it's it's Southampton have been playing well too, which I think is why I chose them. But Chelsea versus Tottenham, I'm gonna have to go top four Tottenham just because I think Joseph Mourinho's found his form, and I think Chelsea aren't quite as potent as everyone thinks and aren't gonna be able to break it down. Oof, this is a tough one because these are the two teams I like watching the most so far in the Premier League. But I'm going to go with Tottenham as well. I can't pick against my boys. Top four Tottenham is going to be – at Stanford Bridge, too, this is a tough one. So I'm, I'm still going to go Tottenham. It's my gut feeling. I'm going to go with Chelsea. I knew it. That's mainly because Chelsea, they, they've won the last three uh, against Tottenham for the last six. Um, and now this will be a big test for Chelsea's attack, and I think we'll be able to get it done here. All right, Arsenal versus Wolves. Uh, I, I literally had a gut feeling about both. So, you know what? I'll go draw. Well, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, gotta, I, I went. I went with the draw. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go Arsenal. I just feel like they are eventually going to start scoring goals. I, if this never happens, I'm going to look like just, you know, I'm going to look like the stupidest man alive. But I, I just I, – Arsenal has to break out of this, right? I mean, sometimes they look yeah. so good and sometimes they just look so yeah, good. That was what I was thinking. I was like, they have to break out of it, but Wolves have been good enough for like kind exactly, of – Yeah, the only way to make ground is by is by picking against you, Ethan. So I ha- so whatever you pick is gonna kind of screw me. So I'm gonna have to go. You can't anyone, so I because I won't. <laughs> um, I actually am gonna go for a draw here as well. I mean, it's just it's been tough struggling for Arsenal. I mean, one goal in the last five matches that's gonna hurt anyone. But I do think they'll find a little something against Wolves. I don't think it'll be quite enough. Uh, the one point here for me. Yeah, I I, I lowkey wanted wanted to do Wolves, and now that everyone else is. Picked Arsenal draw. It almost feels like I should have, but we'll move on. Leicester versus Fulham. I got to go with Leicester. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, they had a very tough performance against uh, a weakened Liverpool side, but I still feel like they're the stronger, stronger team, and they've still had a good run of form. So I'm going to pick with Leicester as well. And I'm going to stick with Leicester as well. Uh, West Ham versus Aston Villa. Villa aren't always the best against lower teams, so I'm going to go West Ham. I'm going to go with Villa. I have to. <laughs> yeah, this is actually a very uh, more tough match because I mean, West Ham and Astrobilt, they've had their highs. West Ham's had more of their highs uh, more recently. Uh, I actually am going to go for West Ham United here. Yes, sir. All right. So that's our predictions. We'll get Alvin's at some point, hopefully soon. And it's going to be a good week. Another good week of Premier League football, Premier League soccer, whatever you want to call it. Also, right now, shout out college basketball bonanza. Nick Codell is on an absolute roll here, an absolute beast getting out content for that with college hoops back in the round. So definitely check out that on Twitter, Instagram, 
Nick, anything? And by the way, just real quickly, as we're doing this show, I am literally watching two games on a TV over here, an iPad over here. Like, I'm, I'm crazy, yeah. yes, but I love it, so. This man is just built different. If you want all the content for literally any college hoops in the world, just check out College Basketball Bonanza and Nick Hodell will get – Nick Hodell and Dominic Stern will both get you covered. But for us – Honestly, I mean, just a quick thing on, uh, on Nick's College Bonanza. It's, it's a little off topic. But I will say that I – the only – if I ever need information on community college basketball, <laughs> the only man in this entire world I would go to would be Nick Hodell. I honestly, if you gave me the choice between any college basketball analyst in the country or Nick Hodell about where to get community college basketball, Division Two, II, Division Three, any Division One, NIT, it doesn't matter. Nick Hodell is the man, and I'm not saying this because he's on the show. I'm saying this genuinely because I know my guy, Nick, is there's no one like him when it comes to college basketball. When I say he has everything, I mean everything. He is built different. But for us three – and Alvin somewhere will take him in here for Venture Clock. That is it for this edition. Thank you guys for, watch, or for listening, not watching. And as always, come for the banter, stay for the knowledge.